Don Joe, and welcome to the Indigenous Futures Podcast, a podcast in service to amplifying Indigenous voices as they vision a collective future built on Indigenous ways of knowing. I'm your host, Teo Montoya. I'm in Day, also known as Lipan Apache from South and West Texas. I'm a writer, an electronic music maker, a self-proclaimed Indigenous futurist, a student of traditional ecological knowledge, and a proud member of the Lipan Apache Band of Texas. So on the last episode of the Indigenous Futures podcast, we started looking at Grace L. Dillon's work and specifically her work in her anthology of Indigenous science fiction called Walking the Clouds. In this book, she lays out five pillars of Indigenous science fiction, and she actually organizes all of the Indigenous writers' stories into one of these five pillars. So we started with the first two, which were Native Slipstream and Contact. Now, Just as a quick recap, native slipstream is kind of things that defy categorization and are a little bit on the avant-garde side. They push against our normal expectations of what a genre or artistry or a story or any of those things could be. And as a reflection of indigenous worldviews, this isn't done on purpose as like an avant-garde act. It's just what happens naturally as we integrate indigenous worldviews into our into our artistry because they automatically defy the the constructs of Western thought. Now, contact is about the experience of contact, of coming into contact with the other, with the alien, with something that is so different from ourselves that it pushes against our construct of of reality. And how we as indigenous peoples in a post-colonial world are needing to grapple with this experience of contact so we can in turn use it to decolonize ourselves and decolonize everybody we come into contact with. And on this episode, we're just going to pick up right where we left off. This is part two. And we're going to start talking about one of my favorite things to talk about, and which we'll definitely have more episodes about in the future. And that is indigenous science sustainability. And I'm adding into this indigenous technology, because I think that technology is really the thing that both indigenous science and indigenous sustainability fit underneath. They are both bound in indigenous technologies. So to start with, it's no surprise that colonizers viewed indigenous science and technologies as primitive, and that they were somehow God-granted and were more advanced in, in all of these different areas. And there has always been the superiority complex that has come along with colonization, that has subverted the innovative technologies that indigenous peoples have created has averted or claimed them for themselves. But if you study our history as a human species at all, you'll realize very quickly that indigenous technologies, techniques, sustainability, and sciences are utilized on a daily basis to keep us alive. I mean, the very foundations of agriculture, to managing water, to managing land, to managing relationships. I mean, when we talk about democracy as a technology for managing relationships, that was developed by indigenous minds. There's this potential that indigenous science fiction holds to really experiment with and subvert this hierarchical thinking that Western thought and Western civilizations and Western technologies are the most advanced. And this goes against everything that we read in our our history books and our science books. And um, that's, you know, this kind of passive white supremacy in action. And anybody you would ask right off the street, they'd be like, okay, you know, I'm going to be PC here. I'm going to support you as an indigenous person, but definitely Western technology is more advanced. I mean, we've got the microchip. We've got all these um, amazing 
devices that we use. I mean, look at the computer, look at our smartphones, right? Those are from Western minds and, and, you know, technically Eastern minds too. And so, yeah, we can look at computers and smartphones and, and, and view them and go, wow, you know, this is a pinnacle of the capacity for the human imagination, right? We've created something that is so powerful that has changed our very existence here on this planet. But do you really think that that is it? And don't all of these technologies have constraints? You know, they are, they are bound up in the very systems of social and cultural thought that created them. Their utilization as tools are bound in the imagination of the peoples using them. And to say that that is the most important technology that we've ever created, well, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but probably the most important technology we ever created was horticulture, right? That's the only reason we're actually here, domestication of animals and the utilization of land as our ability to, to feed ourselves. Without that, none of this other stuff would happen. And again, it's not to create this dichotomy to pit these innovations of the human imagination and creativity against one another to say one's more important or one's less important, but it's just to understand that when we're looking at it in this hierarchical sense, we're understating the importance of indigenous technologies in the creation of this world that we live in. We would not be here if it were not for indigenous technologies. So to understate that indigenous technology has had this profound impact on the very ways in which we exist on this planet is a huge problem because it's all tied in these social evolutionary theories and that are, you know, white supremacist in nature that are pitting everybody in this, in the survival of the fittest. And we know, even if you look at evolutionary biology now, we know that the evolution of the fittest is not the only model in which we evolve, it is not the only model in which we innovate, right? It's not always dog eat dog. There are reciprocal models of evolution. We have to start from this level that indigenous sciences and technologies are equally as impactful and innovative as some of the Western and even Eastern counterparts. And indigenous science fiction and indigenous futurism is, is grounded in this because if we can't look at our indigenous sciences, indigenous sustainability and our indigenous technologies as powerful, as useful, as, a, as vital to a vision of a future not yet here, then what are we doing but writing Western science fiction with indigenous characters? or just creating Western art with indigenous designs, right? Just continuing this narrative of colonization, of utilizing and extracting indigenous ideas and thoughts, but not grounding them in it, in that context of indigeneity. And that's really the fundamental difference that when you're using indigenous futurism as a framework, you are highlighting the importance of our ways, of our stories, of our technologies, that they are on par with, that they are even with, and they are potentially more innovative and more useful to, to us and to the future of this planet and maybe others. So reclaiming that power and the, and the need of indigenous sciences as a vital ingredient and in envisioning a future in which we are in right relationship with the earth, with each other, with our plant animal relatives, and we avoid climate, you know, climate catastrophe you know, I, I just truly believe we're not going to do those things if we wait for Western minds to innovate and use biomimicry of designs and concepts that indigenous peoples have been using for thousands of years. And besides subverting, you know, white supremacy, essentially, just recognizing that indigenous technologies 
are useful. The work's already been done. There are already indigenous thousands and thousands of years of indigenous minds that have already done this work. And so let's just tap into that and let's tap into that narrative as indigenous peoples that is fundamental to our identity and is a continuation of our lineage as indigenous and native peoples. And we really need to reframe what technology and what science is and what sustainability means, because when we first think of technology, we think of uh, computers and this lovely smartphone that we have in front of us. But if we actually look at the word technology, it's a logos of, of craft, of making something. And it's, it's about the manipulation of the world to produce tools that we can then utilize for other reasons. And so when we think about technology on this level, we can say that our stories, our creation stories, our dances, our songs, our prayers, our those are technologies. And those are all bound in the ways in which we move about our lives and, and how we move along the earth. And when as we move along the earth, we're also shaping the earth, you know, there's no divide between managing a forest and singing and prayer and and dance. Like those are happening all at the same time in the same fields. In that way, you can actually look at songs as technologies because they are tools. They are tools that once you know, once you hear them, they hold the information, they they connect to the body. And, you, you know, we utilize them enough for thousands and thousands of years. They become part of our genetic experiencing of our bodies, right? We're dancing and song and prayer are actually affirmed through the body and and reflected in the landscape around us. And so kind of widening that that frame of technology also allows us to look at our webs of relationship and how we connect to one another and how we connect to the land and to our animal and plant relatives because when we redefine the webs of relation we have, then we can actually see these emergent technologies from those webs of relations, these reciprocal technologies, right, where they are bound together. You know, you can't separate a song from the act of managing our land or holding counsel or visioning a future. And it's just so important to say our knowledge is not primitive. There is no linear trajectory of the evolution of our, of our civilizations, of our cultures, Right? When we put things in a linear trajectory, we go from Stone Age to brass to iron and, and all of that. And we have an enlightenment and all of that. We are, putting, we are putting blinders on. We are creating extreme tunnel vision about the capacity of the human mind and what we can actually imagine. And that entire theory of the trajectory of the evolution of, of civilizations and society is, is built on extractive models of relationships, right? Of how we utilize other people, how we utilize the earth, how we utilize animals, how we utilize plants to evolve, to push ourselves further. And even those that track these models and made names for them and came up with these sociobiological evolutionary theories, those people were deeply interested and invested in eugenics and white supremacy and were continuing this narrative of the scala natura, that the, the hierarchy of man, God, and beast, right? So they were invested in these models that utilized and extracted people, places, <laughs> the land, animals, and put themselves, specifically white folks, above every other person and every other species on this planet, and again, their innovations, their thinking, the way that they were trying to understand the world, their imaginative capacity to vision the future was bound in their society. They simply reflected it. Their imaginative capacity for what the future 
could hold was was bound up. And it and and that extractive model didn't allow them to see all the other potential that there was. Only the extraction, only the possible utilization of other people's other ideas, species, plants, animals, all of those things. That is where they were focused, right? They had blinders on. And this is the very thing that we critique when we bring in indigenous knowledge, when we bring in indigenous science and indigenous technologies, because those are bound in reciprocal relationships. Those are bound in reciprocal technologies. And they stand as salient points that the innovative capacity of humanity is not Western thought. It can extend much further than that. And that's what's so exciting is that it's not about the dichotomy. It's not about one's better than the other. It's about what happens when we expand the horizons of all and both and critique deeply all of the things that hold us in a container that, that bind us to what we think is possible, especially when it comes to extractive technologies and their potential for harm. And I think it's so important to recenter these reciprocal technologies because these other technologies that are deeply extractive are not going to continue to exist on this planet. The planet cannot continue with extractive technologies indefinitely. Reciprocal technologies need to be highlighted and centered. And these technologies are the foundations of indigenous sustainability and sciences. So as an indigenous artist or indigenous person wanting to use indigenous futurism as a framework to vision a future, you have to center, decolonize, and invest in these indigenous technologies and scientists to see that they are just as impactful and necessary for the future of this planet as the microchip is. We have to subvert the white supremacist notion that Western thought and Western civilization is the most advanced and the best we can do as a species. It simply isn't true. And even Western thought and innovation was often taking inspiration from indigenous and, and Eastern cultures. This is not to devalue the potency of the Western mind and Western civilization. It has done what it is sought out to do. And many innovations have come along that way. But to say it is better or more worthy of our attention simply because they use their tools to dominate and colonize the world using extractive technologies instead of reciprocal ones is a disservice to our capacity as human beings. We can do better, and we will, and there is no need for dichotomy, just the critique of the hierarchical existence we find ourselves in currently, which, if I'm being frank, will not survive the next 100 years on this planet. So we're not outright rejecting Western thought and Western innovation and Western civilization. We are bound up in it, even though it has caused so much harm, especially to indigenous peoples. You know, I love my computer. I'm not an anarcho-primitivist. I also recognize that all of the technology that I utilize on a daily basis was put together from extractive methods, was utilizing people, places, animals, and plants, all of that for my ability to sit right here in front of this metal and record my voice. So I don't want to go back to some romanticized version of what it means to be indigenous and completely reject Western civilization, but it's got some serious work to do if it's going to meet the needs of our futures. And that critique of indigeneity is the most frustrating thing ever when people say, oh, you just want to go back to before Western civilization, but it's brought us all these great things. It's like, no, I'm still connected to a time before it. A time in which the right relationship with the earth, with one another, with our plant and animal relatives was possible. I am indigenous right here and right now in 2020, living on native land within Western civilization. We're not going to throw away all of this innovation. We're not going to throw away all of these tools. 
but it's all about re-examining our relationships and utilizing our indigenous technologies, the reciprocal technologies to lead the way, to guide, to reframe Western thought and Western technology and say, thank you for this innovation. It's done a lot of harm. It is very potent. I see it as a powerful tool. How can we utilize it now in a reciprocal way? And if we don't do that, we're not going to be able to continue to exist on this planet. Nor are we going to be able to terraform other planets. And we're not responsible enough to do that if we think that extractive technologies are the only way. That is the limits of the Western imagination. And, and if we don't figure out how to reframe technology and utilize it for reciprocal relationships, then, well, either climate catastrophe will get us or these AIs that we weren't in right relationship with will take over the world and kill us, right? So either, either way, we, we need to, this is, this is an essential piece. And I think as an indigenous futurist, using indigenous futurism as a framework for your work as an indigenous artist, you can really tackle with these large questions. I mean, science fiction itself often tackles with these large questions of how technology can be used against us in, in a sort of warning capacity going, you know, maybe you shouldn't install cameras on every single surface. Maybe you don't want to be monitored all the time. Maybe we shouldn't have AIs control everything, right? So, but to do that and not only warn, not only be like, don't do these things, right? And point out all of the limitations of Western imagination, but to then say, what would happen if we were in right relationship with all these technologies? What if we utilize them to create utopias? What if we use them to create things that nobody has ever even thought of? That is this fertile soil we find ourselves in as indigenous peoples. This is a ripe time to consider these questions, these questions that won't be answered for, who knows, hundreds of years. And if we are to stop apocalypse, if we are to survive apocalypse, we really need to ask these questions. And this apocalypse is really the next pillar of indigenous futurism. It's about considering that we as indigenous peoples are post-apocalyptic. We have already gone through what you can imagine as an apocalypse. And so what can we learn from our resiliency? What can we learn from our in innovative capacity to survive, our survivance? And how that can be utilized to, again, vision a future. We will be covering that and more on the next episode of the Indigenous Futures Podcast. The support I've received over the last couple days and the plays that I have gotten have totally blown all of my expectations out of the water. I hope that this episode was supportive in your understanding of what Indigenous Futurism is all about and how exciting it really is as an Indigenous person to vision in this way and to use these foundations in this way. So next week I'll be following up on the two remaining foundations, Native Apocalypse and what Grace L. Dillon calls Returning to Ourselves. In the show description, I'll be including links to Grace L. Dillon's book, as well as other Indigenous futurist artists and writers that I feel are very important to this movement. If you enjoy this podcast, feel free to hit the subscribe button, the follow button, leave me a rating, leave me a comment. If there's anything you think I could be doing better, I would really like to hear that in the comments. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm currently on Instagram, and you can follow me at Indigenous Futures Podcast. Thank you again. I'll talk to you all next week. Indigenous.